We are starting a brand new series today called March Madness, as, as we uh, promised we were going to do. And as I said last week, don't worry if you're not a sports person. This has nothing to do with sports. So, yeah. <laughs> I knew there was going to be some amen in for that. Uh, but uh, I'm really excited about it because we actually started this series two years ago in this month. And we didn't get to finish it because of COVID. That was when COVID really hit and, and uh, the governor asked us not to have in-person services for a little while, so we never got to finish it. And so this year, we are going to finish this series. And I'm really, really excited to finish it and to continue it. Um, the, the premise of this series is that, you know, there are aspects of our faith as we walk out this Christian faith that seem like madness to the world. Right? Not all of them. I mean, some of the things we do are great, and everybody has an understanding that it's a good thing. You know, it's good that we love each other. Uh, it's good that we forgive, that we're generous, that we're compassionate. Uh, all those things are good. But the thing about the Christian faith that makes even those things can seem a little bit crazy sometimes is the source of the power that we are getting to accomplish those things in our life and the level that we are accomplishing in them at. Uh, for instance, Everybody knows about loving each other, right? Well, in, in our faith, we're not called to just love each other. We're called to love our enemies. We don't, you know, everybody wants to see forgiveness and forgive and sees the value in that. We don't just forgive. We forgive the unforgivable, right? We don't just believe that there is a God. We believe that we can have relationship with this God, an intimate, personal relationship with this God, and that not only can we, that's what he desires for us. And so there are things about living this out that, are going to seem somewhat crazy or mad to the world. But if we're living this life the way we're called to live it, it's going to look that way. And uh, over the next four weeks, I'm going to talk about four different aspects of the, uh, the mad, crazy Christian life. So uh, I think you're going to be challenged and encouraged by it as well. Uh, my text verse that's going to kind of encompass this whole month that I want to share with you this morning is out of 1 Corinthians 1. I'm going to ask you to stand with me as we uh, read God's word together. I'm going to be in 1 Corinthians quite a bit today. This is uh, Paul's letter to the church in Corinth. He was having to correct some issues they were having there. And uh, he, he says right here at the, in verse 17, he says, Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel, not with words of human wisdom, lest the cross of Christ be emptied of its power. For the message of the cross is foolishness. Another word for that would be madness or absurdity to those who are perishing, but to those of us who are being saved, it is the power of God. Praise God. Hallelujah. The title of my message today is The Method to the Madness. Would you join me in prayer this morning? Our gracious Heavenly Father, we love you. We bless your holy name. We thank you that we can come together, corporately worship you, and we can corporately hear your word. We thank you that it is your word that changes us. It is your word that inspires us. And God, I pray you do that in our hearts today. Lord, we want you to get all the glory. It is all about you. You are worthy of it all. And we thank you that you allow us to partner with you in this life. And we praise you. We thank you. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. And everyone said, amen. God bless you. You can be seated this morning. Thank the Lord. You ever find yourself feeling like um, people might think you're crazy because you're a Christian? Crazy for some of the things you, you do because of your faith? I think we've all felt that, right? Sometimes we can feel like everybody thinks that way, but the truth is it's probably a smaller percentage than we think. It's probably more just the vocal minority in our life sometimes, or even sometimes just the voices in our head. And this can make our faith challenging, right? Because most people 
really want to blend in. Most people want to not rock the boat and just kind of go with the flow of whatever way the flow is going, right? I mean, the mainstream is called the mainstream for a reason. It's got most of the people in it because we just kind of want to be non-resistant, kind of go with what's happening in society and in the world. But here's the thing, church. Our God did not call us to blend in. Our God called us to stand out, not by just being weird, but stand out for the glory of God, for the sake of the gospel. In fact, Jesus' words himself in John 15 tell us that he says, if you belonged to the world, it would have loved you as its own. As it is, you do not belong to the world, but I have chosen you out of the world. That is why the world hates you. I don't know if any of some of you maybe weren't told this when you came to faith in Jesus, but this is the truth. We're not called to blend in. We're not called to just be doing what everybody else is doing with this kind of obscure faith that doesn't do anything. Our faith is not meant to be transactional, where we just come to God and we say, okay, God, I believe in you, and he gives you a get out of hell free card, and you just go on your merry way and try to blend in. Our faith is meant to affect every area of our life. It affects our priorities. It affects our choices. It affects our thoughts. It affects our passions. It affects our actions. It even affects our DNA. We get a new DNA when we give our lives to Jesus and he puts his spirit in us, changes us. The old is gone. The new has come. When we get baptized in water, we are symbolically being, we're dying. The old man is dying and we're coming to new life in Jesus. So that our faith is meant to affect every single part of our life. And this can seem like madness to society, to people even in your life that maybe don't have faith in Jesus, or maybe even some that do, but it's more shallow. The deeper you want to go in your faith, the more the people that are shallow in their faith will think you're kind of nuts. And sometimes that's just necessary. It's not just for, for the sake of being different or being a freak, but it's about living our life completely and totally for him. You know, the method to the madness, that, that literally means a uh, good reason for your actions, even though it may seem like it's crazy. There is a method to all of the so-called madness in the Christian faith. And he has reasons that he calls us to that, and then we're gonna get into some of those today and over the next few weeks as well. The fact is, his ways are always higher, always better, and when he calls us to anything, it is always, always to give our life we are meant to have a purpose that so many people will never understand. You know, there's a lot of us as Christians that live our whole life never really experiencing the purpose that God has for us because we're not willing to get out of the mainstream in our life. But God has called us to do that. And can I tell you today, can I suggest to you that if you feel like your life is lacking purpose and you're here and you're a Christian or you're watching online and you're a Christian, but you feel like your life is lacking, lacking purpose, can I suggest to you that maybe, just maybe, you have not embraced what the world would call is madness in your faith? Because of fear or apathy or whatever it might be. But it is what God has called us to. My text verse says that the message of the cross is foolishness to those who have rejected it. Foolishness. And you know, we know that 
the world feels this way. We know that people, like I've mentioned earlier in our life, might feel this way. And what it does is it causes us to be hesitant about really living this life out loud the way God has called us to live it because we don't want to rock the boat, right? You even see it in churches, literally in the church in the United States and, and other places where you will see that even churches, and we know that the message of the cross seems like foolishness to people who have rejected it. So what we'll do in the church sometimes is we will kind of avoid the message of the cross, but we'll talk about some of the fruit that comes from that, right? We'll talk about how life with God can help your relationships. It can help your finances. It can help your health. It can help your attitude. It can help your job. It can help so many aspects of life. But we talk about the branches, but we're leaving out the trunk that holds all those branches up, which is the cross of Christ. That is where the power in our life comes from. Bar none, there's nothing else that can give us what we need to live this life. All the rest of it is just trying to have a positive mental attitude to try to get through life. If you really want the power of God in our life, we have to embrace the message of the cross. There's absolutely no way around it. And the reality is, though those that have rejected it think that the idea and the message of the cross is foolishness, the Bible actually shows us quite a bit of what actually is foolishness according to God. Not according to what others would say, but what God would say. And as I was preparing this, I just thought of a few right off the top of my head. I did a quick Google search and found a couple more. And I'll just give you a few of them real quickly, just so we can kind of understand what God sees as foolishness. First one is that it's foolish not to believe in God. The Bible tells us that the fool says in his heart, there is no God, right? That's real foolishness to not believe in him. It's also rejecting wisdom and instruction for those of us that think we know it all. And yes, I'm talking to you teenagers. <laughs> I'm just kidding, but not really. Your parents do know more than you, right? Don't reject wisdom and knowledge and instruction from people, but adults too, we all need that. It is foolish not to be able to hold or control your tongue. Whoo, buddy. Let me tell you, from living up north, I got a quick lesson in holding my tongue the first six months of living in the South. We're better at it down here than they are up there. But uh, we all need to work hard at holding our tongue because it's foolish not to. It's foolish to trust in your own mind. Man, we all know that's true. As much as we still try to do it, Proverbs tells us it is foolish to trust in your own mind. And it's foolish to be reckless and careless in life. Those are just five quick things that the Bible tells us is actual foolishness, not really the foolishness that we're talking about in my text verse, which is perceived foolishness by those that are rejecting the cross of Christ. So what I want to do today, I want to give you a few, uh, a few aspects of madness of the cross, as we call it. And uh, I'm going to kind of, each one kind of builds on the other. But I want to show you, because I want to show you the method to the madness, that it's not just about like I said, just about looking different or being weird or coming across as a freak, but it is about, there's a method to it. And God has a purpose for each of these things that he calls us to. So the first madness of the cross is the power of death. My text verse talks about that there's, the message of the cross is the power of God. You wouldn't typically say that death is a display of strength, right? When someone or something, a plant or an animal dies, that strength that that person or entity had is typically gone, right? We wouldn't even say the act of dying is an act of strength. At best, it's maybe an act of bravery or valor or grit, determination, heroism. 
you know, we, we're seeing in this, this war in the Ukraine, where I've heard multiple stories already of incredible heroism and bravery of people that have died defending other people or defending their nation, right? We've seen that, and those are beautiful stories, but that isn't something we would say is an act of strength, right? Because if that person or whatever was strong enough, probably in our minds that person wouldn't have died, right? And not only that, once you die, the strength that you had is gone. Yet the Bible's telling us that the power of God is in the death of Jesus on the cross. Death typically takes our power and does not display it. But when you look at the cross, it says that the cross is power. It seems like the cross would be a display of God's weakness, right? Because Jesus died on this cross, so it would come across as weakness. But here's something for all of us to remember and understand, or maybe this is the first time you've heard this, but every display in the Bible of Jesus' weakness was actually a display of his strength. Every time. Every time you see it. In fact, I'm giving you a little tease because next week that's what my sermon's gonna be about. About weakness and strength. Every time you see something in the Bible where it looks like Jesus was being weak, it was actually a display of his strength. Which is completely contrary to what everything else in the world would tell you about death. And if, a Christ, if you're a Christian, you kind of, you get it. You understand the power of the cross because it's been revealed to you, but let's try to look at it through the eyes of someone who hasn't had that revelation of the power of the cross. Because it can seem a little counterintuitive, right? To think that the, the, a display of God's strength was for him to die on a cross. And that that power came from that. And if God is so powerful, then why would he allow his son to be brutalized and tortured and murdered the way he was on a cross? This is a conversation you might have had with somebody that has not had this revelation. In fact, when I was a missionary in West Africa, I had this conversation frequently. I was living in a country that was 99% Muslim, and I'd have conversations with Muslims all the time about our faith, and it was great. And, but what I would encounter over and over was if God is so powerful, because they believe God is powerful too, they're like, if I don't want to serve a God that can't even keep his son from being killed on a cross by a bunch of people, because he didn't, these people didn't have that revelation of the cross and what it really means. And so to them, it seems like foolishness. That's why Paul said that. It seems like foolishness to someone that doesn't understand the power that is in the cross, to think that uh, the death of a man 2,000 years ago can save my soul? That's weird, right? And why did I need forgiveness for sins 2,000 years before I was born? There's so much of it that can come across or seem like it's madness or seem like it's foolishness outside of our faith. And I think even for us as Christians, it's easy to get in the mindset that the cross, the power of the cross is about our forgiveness and our salvation, but then we kind of stop at that. But the reality is, the cross, the power of the cross in our life, is it starts with forgiveness and salvation, but that's just the very beginning. It is the power in our life for everything. It is the foundation that all the building blocks in our life are stacked on if we're going to do this the way that God has called us to do it. The power of the cross is for everything, and we cannot neglect it. And so the method to this madness, the reason God gave us power from the cross, I think Paul summed it up well in Romans 8, one of the best chapters in all the Bible. Romans 8, verses 3 to 4, look what he says here. He says, for what the law was powerless to do, 
because it was weakened by the flesh, God did by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh to be a sin offering. There had to be a sin offering. And so he condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fully met in us. It's powerful. Who do not live according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. So scripture is clear here that sin has more power in our life than we do to defeat it on our own. We cannot defeat it on our own. There had to be another source of power to fulfill the righteous requirements of the law. Now listen, there's still aspects to even reading this verse that we can't fully understand. But this is the way God had set it up. And the the fact is we know God is sovereign. We know his ways are higher than our ways. And we could trust that he knows what he's doing. And we, when we understand that the cross had power to save us, to set us free, and to give us everything we need, it changes everything when God reveals that to us. So as, I, as I, we move on, we, we understand that the, the power of the cross is something, the power of the death of our God is, is something that can be considered madness. We move on to the wisdom of fools. The wisdom of fools. You see, the madness of the cross is that understanding and discerning the cross cannot be acquired by natural human reasoning. I know if you're like me, and most of you probably are, you love to figure things out, right? Things that you think you, especially things you think you're good at, it's wonderful to figure stuff out. I love nothing, very few things get my adrenaline going more than when I see a problem and solve it. Man, I love it. In fact, uh, a couple weeks ago, we had a, uh, before youth service, the le- some of the leaders had ordered some food and had it brought here by DoorDash. And, and uh, one of them called me and said, hey, the DoorDash girl's out here. She just dropped off food. And she locked her keys in her car and the motor's running. <laughs> and we need to try to get her in the car. And so me and a couple people went out there to look at it. And turns out the driver's door wasn't locked, but the handle was broken off. It was just a hole in the door. And the other three doors were all locked. And so somebody went to get a coat hanger, you know, we're going to try to shimmy that coat hanger down and pop it out, you know, but that scratches the car and it can be a challenge if you've ever done that. And something to me was like, well, the driver's door is unlocked. There's got to be something in there that if we get a hold of it, you know, we could pull it and open this door. There's got to be a way. But the hole was really small. You know, I took my flashlight on my phone. I shined it in there and I couldn't really see anything, but I was like, it's got to be in there somewhere. So I, I took my finger, my big fat sausage finger, and I shoved it in there. And I was reaching around as much as I could. It was actually starting to hurt because I was pushing in so far. And I felt a little something there. I didn't know what it was, but I thought, that's got to be it. And I just got my finger over it, and I pulled it, and the door popped open. Greatest moment of my month. (laughs) And the girl was so excited. She goes, she said, can I hug you? I said, yeah, sure, why not? But man, that felt good, you know, to be able to solve a problem like that, really help somebody out. And And it felt so good, and I love to do that, and I'm sure you guys do too, but let me tell you something, church. The most frustrating times in our faith are when we are trying to figure our faith out. It's when we're trying to problem solve with this. Now, I'm not saying we don't use our brain. God gave us a brain for a reason. But you know, Paul also said in Romans 8, that chapter I was just reading from, he said that the mind controlled by the spirit is life and peace. The opposite of frustration is peace. But if you, want your, if you want to live in peace, your mind has to be controlled by the Spirit. In other words, the mind has to be submitted to the Spirit 
in spiritual things. Has to be. Because to think the arrogance of us to think we can figure out everything spiritually, even like how, that, how the whole thing works about the power of the cross, to think we can figure that out in our finite minds is incredibly arrogant. Right? We can't figure things out. We have to submit ourselves to the Spirit of God if we're going to live in a, in a peaceful way that he has called us to live. It doesn't mean we don't think about our faith. It doesn't mean we don't do practical things. But when it comes down to it, and there's things we can't understand, we can't understand why there's hurting over in Ukraine. We can't understand why there's a pandemic. We can't understand why things are happening the way they are. The only way to live in peace with that is to submit your mind to the Spirit and trust Him and understand that He just might know a little more than you do. Right? It's the only way we can live in the peace that He has called us to live in. 1 Corinthians 1, the next two, three verses after my text verse, verses 19 to 21, look what it says. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, the intelligence of the intelligent I will frustrate. Where is the wise man? Where is the scholar? Where is the philosopher of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world through its wisdom did not know him, God was pleased through the foolishness of what was preached to save those who believe. Now this is kind of a confusing verse, the way it's worded, but what he's simply saying is, you can't do it on your own. There ain't enough intelligence, there ain't enough education, there's not enough learnedness, there's not enough of anything that you can do on your own to fully understand. It is about being a fool in the world's eyes by completely, totally, and utterly trusting your God. That's where Life is lived, it, the, the, the life that he has called us to live. Now, does this mean that God doesn't like smart people? I don't know, maybe not. I don't have to worry about that. <laughs> no. no, of course it doesn't mean that. He gave us our brain. He, he made, he, the people that are intelligent have the high IQs. He gave that to you. Praise God. We're all jealous of you, in fact. But we can't trust our brains in our faith. We trust the Spirit of God. Paul actually says it a little more succinctly in the next chapter of 1 Corinthians, chapter 2, verse 14. He says, but the natural man does not receive the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him, nor can he know them because they are spiritually discerned. Spiritual things can only be discerned by the Spirit. That Spirit is in us if we are followers of Jesus. So we have to submit ourselves to that spirit. He goes on to say in the same chapter that we, as followers of Jesus, we have the mind of Christ. It doesn't mean that my brain is Jesus's brain and I can just use it to think about everything and I'll figure it out. It means that we just submit ourselves to his spirit, that we have enough wherewithal to understand that we are not smart enough, intelligent enough to be able to figure it out on our own. The reality is the gospel story, the whole story of the gospel doesn't make a lot of sense to people that are outside of the faith. If you're saved, you kind of get it because you have the mind of Christ. But if you aren't, it's not going to make a lot of sense. I mean, look outside of your own faith story for a moment. Just think about like the, the progression of the Bible from start to finish and how crazy it can sound. You know, we got this eternal God that wasn't created, he's always been, and he created man, the human race, to be with him, right, and to live forever with him. Man messes it up, it ushers sin into the world, creates a separation between him and God. The only way for God to reconcile that is for him to 
come down from heaven in human flesh to live a life to be killed by those people so that he can forgive those people. That makes tons of sense, right? And then raised from the dead three days later, go back to heaven and then send his very own spirit to here to live in us so that we can live for him. Sure, that makes all the sense in the world, right? It does to us if you, you know, I've been doing, I've been loving Jesus for 30 years. It makes total sense to me now. But think about what people outside of your faith think about that. It sounds a little like craziness. But that we're called to live this life in that way. And here's the thing, church. The method to the madness for this, the why that God did this, that he, that he made the, the foolish wise in the faith is very, very clear in 1 Corinthians 1, a little further down in the chapter, verses 27 and 29. It says, but God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong so that, everyone say so that. Here's the why. So that no one may boast before him. Let me tell you, you serve a jealous God. Not the jealous kind of God that's a sin jealous, but the jealous kind of God that says, I am not sharing my glory with you. I am not sharing any of that with you. All the glory is his, all the honor, all the power, all the praise, all the worship, it's his. He will not share it. And for him, for that to be accomplished, we have to know that we can't do it. He says, I'm going to do it all. I'm going to make sure the people that think they can figure it out with their own brain aren't going to be able to figure it out because I want to make sure you have nothing to boast about because it's only only way you can get it is to receive it. You can't earn it. You can't deserve it. You just receive it. You receive this relationship with him. And you know, it's funny because even in knowing that, as most of us in this room probably do, it's still very challenging for us to not get arrogant in our faith, isn't it? Like not to start thinking when good things happen, like, yeah, I deserve that. Read my Bible every day this week. No wonder I've been blessed. I haven't sinned in a good three hours. I mean, where's my blessing, Lord? You know, we get arrogant in our faith, even though we know this truth. That the only way we can come to faith, the only way we can come to knowledge of him is if he draws us and then he does all the work to give us in relationship with him. Yet we still struggle with the arrogance and the pride that a human being can struggle with. Imagine how much we would struggle if we could actually figure it out on our own. And with our intellect, we could get saved. We would be a hot mess as a race, a human race. We weren't and we still are not able to fight this battle on our own. So he did it for us. It's actually very freeing when we grasp this, right? We just have to, we have to be purposeful and intentional to remember it in our life. Because there's always that part of us that's trying to pull us over here to make us feel like we did something good to deserve or earn this relationship we have with him. All right, and then the third and final madness of the cross is the sight of the believing. The sight of the believing. You know, you hear all the time, you got to see it to believe it, right? You only believe what you can see or at least what you can prove or verify, right? But in the faith, it's the opposite. You don't see it to believe it. You believe it, then you will see it. We see it over and over and over again. You believe it and then you see it. This trips us up all the time in our faith, all the time. It trips me up. It trips all of us up in our faith, where we find ourselves thinking 
or praying or caught in the mindset of, God, if you would just show me, if you would just let me see your faithfulness in this situation, then I can believe. God, if you'll do a miracle here, then I'll be able to believe you. If you'll just come through, if you'll just pull me out of this situation I found myself in, then I will believe more. I will believe that you are capable and able. When the reality is, God says, I want you to believe because when you believe, you're going to start to see him in places you never thought you could see him. Now, listen, this is not exhaustive. I'm not saying in every circumstance you have to believe before you'll see, because we see in the scripture, there's multiple cases where people saw miracles that Jesus did and they believed because they saw those. And that's totally legit and real and good. But we cannot live our whole life that way, saying, God, I need to see it. That because what we do is we get crippled by this. I just got to see God, the supernatural. I got to see a situation where God comes through in a miraculous way or I can't grow in my faith. We're limiting ourselves to just seeing the extraordinary. When the reality is the day-to-day -day grind in this life isn't always extraordinary. I've had great experiences with God where I have felt his presence, where I've seen miracles, I've seen incredible things, and I love them, and I remember them, I write them down, I meditate on them. But that's not Monday through Sunday every week. The reality is we have to live our faith out in such a way that we take God at his word and we believe him and we believe him. We start to see him in situations we never thought we would see him. Hebrews 11:1, 1, beautiful verse. You, most of you probably know it by heart. It says faith is the confidence that what we hope for will actually happen. It gives assurance of what we cannot see. We're believing it's true before we can see it. We're believing it's true before we can see it. If we could only get this in here in our lives to where this is the way we live, it would change everything. Because the more we believe God, the more we see him. You know, back in 1961, the Russians sent uh, a cosmonaut out into space. Some of you might be old enough to remember this. And uh, they put him on and when he came back, the leader of Russia at the time, Nikita Khrushchev, or Nikolai Khrushchev, whatever his name was, he said, we've been to space and we did not see God. And then about less than a year later, the U.S. sent John Glenn into space and he orbited the earth three times. And when he came back, he said something totally different. I'm going to quote him here. He said, I saw God everywhere. I saw his glory in the galaxy. I saw his splendor in the universe. I saw his majesty in the stars. So which one's right? Both of them. Both of them are because you believe before you can see. So this Russian cosmonaut didn't believe, so he didn't see. John Glenn believed, and so he saw. In fact, Jesus said in John 3, 3, that unless you're born again, you can't even see the kingdom of God. You're not going to be able to see the things of God if you're not born again. But if you believe and you take God at his word, you'll see him in things you never thought you'd see. You'll see him on both ends of the spectrum. You'll see him in health and sickness. You'll see him in peace and in war. You'll see him in prosperity and struggle. You'll see him in, in pandemics and, and health. You'll see him in birth and death. You'll see him in everything in life because there is no place that he is not. Amen. 
but you have to believe to see. I know for myself, and you would probably say this as well, as our faith grows, we start to see him in everything. I see him in my frustration. I see him in my rejoicing. I see him all over the place, but it's because I believe that he is who he says he is. I believe that he really is as faithful as the word of God tells me that he is. And if I believe that, I will see it. And so here's the method to this madness. Why do we have to believe before we see? Why doesn't he just give us, you know, great signs all the time, everywhere we go, so that we could just, it'd be easier to believe and the world would believe more, right? Why don't we get that? What is the method to his madness? I would, first of all, I would say that we are called to live a life of faith. And if you can see it, you don't have to have faith for it. A life of faith is exactly what Hebrews 11.1 1 says. It's confidence in the things I cannot see. So if we're living this life of faith, it can't be that we see everything. We have to believe. We walk by faith, not by sight. At least not with these eyes. We see with our spiritual eyes. And there is a blessing to those that believe before they see. You remember the story of Thomas where Jesus had resurrected from the dead and he was still on the earth and some of the disciples had seen him and they went and told Thomas, hey, Jesus is alive. And he says, uh, nah, I'm not believing that till I can see it. I'm gonna wanna touch his hands and put my hand in his side, right? And so the next time they're together, Jesus comes into the room and he walks up to Thomas and shows Thomas his hands in his side and he says, stop doubting, believe. And Thomas says, my Lord and my God. So Thomas was one of the lucky ones. He got to see before he believed. But Jesus says one of the most profound statements in all the Bible in the very next line, John 20, 29, he says, Jesus told him, because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet believe. There is a blessing that comes when we believe before we see. And you might say, well, pastor, I really want to believe, but I can't make myself believe things, right? I can't just like grit my teeth and say, I believe it, I believe it. And all of a sudden it starts changing, right? How do I make myself believe? Well, to, uh, to explain that, let me give you a little illustration. Uh, there was a guy back in the 1800s. Uh, his name was Charles Blondin. And uh, he was the first person to go across a, a high wire over Niagara Falls. About 1,100 feet he went across the falls. In fact, if, a few years ago, Pastor Bowen shared this story and I thought it was, it was kind of funny, but there's, a, there's another part of it that he didn't share. So he, this guy's going across, and he's got thousands of people watching him. He goes across multiple times. In fact, one time he went and took a chair with him and sat on a chair out on the high wire and just balanced. No pole, no net, no nothing. And that, that's crazy. I don't care who you are, that's crazy. And uh, he comes back across. He's like, okay, I'm going to go again. And he asks the crowd, he says, do you guys think I could take a wheelbarrow across this wire? And the crowd's like, yes, we believe it, we believe it. He says, okay, who wants to get in the wheelbarrow? <laughs> Silence. <laughs> you could hear a pin drop. Because see, they didn't really want to put their money where their mouth is. They didn't really, it didn't cost them anything to believe that he could do it if they weren't the ones getting in, right? But you know who got in the wheelbarrow? His manager. And he took him across the wire. Now, what we learned from that, the manager knew this guy inside and out. He'd been with him for years, seen him do this many, many times where he walked a wire. He was able to trust him because he knew him. 
because he had a history with him and because he was in relationship with him, this manager had no reservations to jump in that wheelbarrow because he knew he was going to be fine. That is how our relationship with Jesus is meant to be, where we can believe him when others will say, "Mm -mm," when others will stand there silent, where you can hear a pin drop, but we will believe him because we are in relationship with him, because we have been with him for years, because we know him, because we are in the word, we've studied the word, we have been in the quiet place with him, we have spent time talking to him, having communication back and forth with him, we have a prayer life, We we are focused and intentional about an intimate relationship with our Jesus. And when we do that, we can believe before we see because I know his character. I know that he's faithful. I know that he's true. I know that he's never let anybody down. I know that he's never lied. He has put his word in my heart, so I believe it. And so when I have to believe him for something I can't see, I can do it because I know my God. I'm willing to get in that wheelbarrow with him because I know him well enough to know that I'm going to get to the other side. But if we're just kind of having this shallow, superficial Christianity and saying, I really want to believe so that I can see him more, but we're not really willing to put in the work to be in relationship with him other than the superficial, we're never going to get there, church. He's not going to just supernaturally put this belief in us to where all of a sudden I just, ooh, suddenly I woke up this morning and I believe everything. It's going to be, some of it is based on our work in the word, devouring this, consuming this. This needs to be part of our life. Not part of our Sunday, part of our life, where we are living this in our life. Amen? There are no shortcuts to believing. There are no shortcuts. You can have somebody pray for you. You can have the most prophetic, anointed, gifted minister pray for you every day for 20 years that your belief and your faith would just grow and grow and grow. If you are not doing your part, you are wasting your time. You're wasting your time. Let's live this life. Let's live it. Let's do our part. We're not, we're, not, we're not doing works to get saved. We're not doing works to get blessings. We're not doing works to get favor from God. We're doing it because we just want to know him. I just want to know my God. I want to know him so desperately in, the, in, the, in the, the secret place that there's nothing that could derail my faith in him because I know him. Nothing could change that but it's only because of my relationship with him and your relationship with him. Praise God. Would you stand with me, please? I want to pray for us today. Praise God. Listen, I want to invite you to the altar this morning. If, if this word, if God's word has touched your heart this morning or you, you feel it kind of prodding at you a little bit and you want to spend some time just praying, ask, talking to the Lord, just don't be ashamed to come up here. Don't be afraid to come to this altar and just spend some time with the Lord. I invite you. But I know some of you, many of you maybe not, maybe won't want to, but I'm, I'm gonna pray for you at your seat. And I ask you to receive this, okay? Receive this prayer. Let's, let's open our heart today to the word of God. And the Bible talks a lot about our heart being soil. And when our heart is good soil, the seed is planted in that heart and it can produce in our life. But there's a part in us that's got to be good soil. Let's open ourselves. Let's surrender and submit ourselves to the Spirit of God. Amen? Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you today. We thank you for your word. Your word is life. Your word gives life. Hallelujah. I praise you, Jesus. Lord, I pray today for all of us that would call ourselves Christians under the sound of my voice. Lord, that you would give us a hunger and a passion for your word. 
God, that we, would, we wouldn't read our Bibles because it's a religious duty or because we feel like we're supposed to, but God, because we wanna know you, because we wanna grow deeper with you, because we wanna know you in that intimate way to where we can trust you when times are tough and when times are great. Would you help us, God? Would you help us? Lord, we thank you today that you've called us to live a life for you. And Lord, even though the world may think that it looks like madness sometimes, God, I pray you'd help every one of us, Lord, not to shrink back, not to recoil, but to be willing to be that person that's willing to get in the wheelbarrow, even though it may look crazy sometimes. But God, that we would trust you in a supernatural way. Lord, we thank you today for the power of the cross. We thank you for that message that brings life that brings power to our lives, that gives us what we need to live this life for you. We thank you, Lord, for your spirit. Lord, fill us today with your spirit. Fill us again to overflowing, God, that we would be surrendered to you completely and totally for your glory, God, but also for our good. We thank you, God, that you are a good, good father. And I pray for everybody under the sound of my voice, anyone that does not know you, that the message of the cross has not been revealed to them, that they would open their hearts to you today and let you come in. Your word tells us you stand at the door and knock and that anyone that opens that door, you will come into their life. We thank you, God, for your forgiveness. We thank you for your grace. We thank you that you are faithful to forgive and to cleanse us, God, when we surrender and come to you. We know we fall short. God, you are so good. You are so, so good. We bless your name today, Jesus. We love you. It's in your name we pray. And everyone said, amen. Amen. Praise God. Let's praise God one more time. Thank you, Lord. Hallelujah. Mm. Thank the Lord.